So you have a crisis and it's Friday night. What do you do? You go to the ER. There's no, there's nothing else to do. We are where we are today, meaning 2022, um, you know, in an actual state of mental health emergency that's never been declared before. Welcome to the latest episode of the Good and Grounded podcast, where we spend time speaking with dynamic leaders in our community and bringing awareness to some of the issues that keep us up at night, frankly. I'm Jim Licko, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Laura Love. Thanks, Jim. Our next guest actually spends a lot of time probably helping parents who do spend many a night wide awake worrying about their kids. Dr. Cheryl Ziegler is a best-selling author of Mommy Burnout. She's the podcast host of Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch. And she runs a very successful private therapy practice here in Denver. She's also a TEDx speaker and presents internationally on topics, gosh, related to stress, to parenting, to mental health, and certainly to burnout. She's also, for those of us who live in the Denver area, she's the parenting expert for Nine News and has been interviewed, gosh, hundreds of times by the media, including stints on the Today Show, the Katie Couric Show, CNN, and the list could go on. So... We are thrilled to have her join us to talk about one of the biggest challenges facing us today, which is the current state of pediatric mental health. Dr. Cheryl, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. I'm looking forward to this. So in May of last year, Children's Hospital Colorado declared a state of emergency for youth mental health. Can you just share with us a little bit about why you believe Colorado is where it is right now? Yes, I would be happy to. I think it's important to understand that prior to the pandemic, we were already a struggling system. And so when the pandemic hit, I don't think anybody could have seen a a collapse um, on its way. Unless you're in the trenches, you think we're okay, right? Like we have some struggles. And I think what this pandemic has done is reveal what all of our struggles have been And so we're here because A, we didn't have a system that could possibly sustain the level of depression, suicide attempts, suicide completions, and substance abuse. We absolutely were not built for that at all. We were already struggling as well to just keep up with mental health services. So 43rd in the country in terms of mental health, that's abysmal. About 19 and a half, 20 percent of people in the state of Colorado live either live with somebody or them themselves live with mental illness. Um, and when we look at what happened with the opioid crisis over the past two years, this is something that everybody needs to care about. Opioid overdoses are not a particular segment. It's not just the disadvantaged, or it's not just. It's everybody because it can start off as just pain meds or it can be heroin on the street um, and, and, and the whole range in between. So when we're taught, when we look at 2020, 65% of all drug overdoses were opioid deaths. That's astounding. That is not something that we had ever, ever dealt with. And we're going to be dealing with this mental health and substance abuse crisis for years and years to come. So... Um, you know, that that's just a warm up of how we got here um, and why we are where we are today, meaning 2022, um, you know, in an actual state of mental health emergency that's never been declared before. And that's been declared by 10 plus state and national kinds of organizations. We're really in a crisis. 
Yeah, it, it sounds like a dire situation that was only brought to more prominence because of the pandemic, which, you know, probably a little bit of a double-edged sword in the sense that we're talking more about it. We're addressing it maybe a little bit more aggressively than we were in 2019. Um, I know some of the stats that, you know, that we've seen from Children's Hospital Colorado, their pediatric system saw a 73% increase in behavioral health visits to the emergency department, you know, as compared to the same time in 2019. What impacts have the pandemic in the last couple of years had on um, kids specifically in our community? And I think more importantly, I guess the follow-up is what are the prevention steps? What, what are the ways to make sure it doesn't get to that point where kids have to go to the ER? You know, when if, if I were a parent and listening to this, um, I think nobody can really say they haven't been impacted in some way. You have a neighbor, you have a friend, a niece, a nephew. I mean, you know somebody or your own child that's been struggling. I think we have a front row seat now to it though. Um, during the pandemic, we we were, you know, and many people still are working from home, your kids were home more, and all of a sudden you saw some things, right? The, the formula was in your room a lot, their kids are in the room a lot, um, they're on a screen for hours and hours and hours at a time. So it went from, again, 2019, I think they would say, like the average adolescent is on a screen for seven to eight hours, and that jumped to like 12 to 13 hours. And what we know and what we knew before this crisis is that the more you are on social media, the greater chance you have of having lower self-esteem, greater thoughts of suicide, increased anxiety, and increased depression. I run a small private practice in Denver. It's relatively small, it is very busy. And I saw a 68% increase. I had over a thousand referrals last year. My greatest stress is that I, we can't help everybody. We've got a wait list that isn't moving because now people know, parents know, if I have my kid in therapy, they like this therapist, we're not going anywhere. I'll just pay for the time to be able to keep them, you know, visiting even if everything's going well, which honestly to me is a really smart idea. And I think um, that can be a little bit of a difference in how you view mental health services. I think there's different levels, but for many of the families that I see, I'm just a part of their team. It doesn't mean that we even meet each other every week, because we don't, but it means that I maintain a relationship with some kids from elementary, middle, and high, for lots of kids middle, high, and college. Um, and that means when they're in a crisis, they know what to do and they know who to go to. They're not lost the way thousands of people are right now. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I have a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 19-year-old. And I hear what you're saying when I think about prevention, one is limit screen time to what I heard is get a mental health professional, if you can, on your care team, on your parenting team and, and look at it as a proactive thing versus a reactive. I'm in crisis. What other tips can you give parents? So their kiddos hopefully don't end up in the ER. One of them that I think, again, this was an opportunity I think over the last two years is behavioral health, like tech, using tech and having digital behavioral health. So there are more and more companies now that are actually bringing those kinds of resources or signing up for that so that there's family, that there's stuff for your kids. Um, I think that's huge. And so what that looks like is you've got an app on your phone because you know the kids are on their phones all the time. And on that app is the ability to say, click a button, I need to talk to someone now. There's the ability to say, I need to schedule an appointment tonight, right? That doesn't happen right now. So in one app, which they're always on their phones, you've got the step level of care, everything from coaching. I mean, I could go on and on about this, um, but there's 
not every kid needs a doctor. That not every kid needs doctoral level intervention. Some kids just need that, like someone's on the other end. And I could say, I had a really crappy day and somebody's going to reply. They're going to text them back and say, tell me about it. This is the world, whether we like it or not, this Gen Z is used to instant gratification. This is what they're used to. So for us to say, great, um, I can get you in in three months from now and just hang tight. That's not, that's not going to work. And it's proving to us it's not going to work. So I have lots to say around that, but people who are listening, if you run companies, look for these kind of services. If you are an employee of a company, advocate for these kind of services if they don't exist. And the third level for me is if you are in a company and you go, wait, wait, we're doing that. Tell your employees about it because less than 10% of employees take advantage of their EAP and their mental health benefits. Open up the book or the link and see what does my company offer and what can we do more of? What can we do better? In terms of prevention, in terms of crisis, in terms of intervention, um, I think that's really huge. I think one of the things I've loved about you and just paying attention to the things you write or talk about is how to parent better or differently maybe during this COVID crisis that we're in. For those that maybe haven't read as much or heard you on TV, what tips would you give parents that are listening or caregivers about how to parent differently and how to think about that differently during the pandemic? So the first thing I would say, it always sounds so basic, so hang in here with me, is communicate, right? If you, if your gut as a parent, we all are wired to know what's happening with our children. Your gut says something's off. Ask them about it. Find a place, especially with teens. People will always say, how do you get a teen to talk though? They don't want to talk. They're blowing me off. We'll find it. Cook with them in the kitchen. Take a ride with them in the car. Go on a hike with them. You have to know your own kid and know the timing. So a lot about attunement. What's the timing? You know that they never, ever like to talk in the morning. So don't ask them on the ride to school. Everything okay? Right? You're going to get a grunt. So that's the one thing. But honestly, communicate with your child. There are so many parents, especially the older they get, they're scared of them. I think a lot of parents are scared of their kids. They're scared to even know what is going on. I think another thing is there's a lot of restrictions and rules that have gone out the window during COVID, like hand your phone in at night. No, you're not sleeping with your phone in your room. Yes, I am going to look through your texts. Sometimes somebody will push back on that privacy. I, I just don't believe in that. They're not ready for the world to be in the palm of their hands, literally, and have no monitoring of that. Like We don't even have that. right? If we're out there writing some funky things online, somebody is going to be like, I'm flagging you, I'm watching you. And um, it's just the notion that they know you might look through their things can make them think twice sometimes about what they write or what they say or what comments they make. So I think there's a lot more involvement that is needed. And let's say you do that and you communicate and your kid's like, yeah, you know, I've been having these dark thoughts or I feel so lonely or whatever that might be. I think it's really, the, the first thing that we know about this pandemic is that connection. We, we now know how, the importance of connection, right? If any of us ever doubted it. So connection is number one. And I think helping them facilitate that, helping making sure that they are included in on something. They feel a part of something bigger than themselves. They know what their purpose or their why is at the moment. So making sure you have a sense of, does my kid have that belonging? Because it's essential. It's a top three thing that I would say that is important to mental health. Mm, I love that. I um, I was thinking about tips. You know, I, I, one thing I've I've sort of appreciated about this time is 
people aren't afraid to talk about it. I've noticed like parents and people I work with aren't afraid to talk about, yeah, it was really hard today. And this is what's going on with my kid. And it feels more normal. Like we're all sort of in it together, which I think has helped. And one of the things that has helped our family is that at dinner at night is roses and thorns, right? Because what's your rose? What's your best part of your day? What was your thorn? What was your hardest part of your day? And, and, and by having that every night, it's allowed the kids to talk about it. Like it's just okay. Um, so I would say that was something that's really helped us. And the other thing, which back to your privacy issue online is installing bark. I don't know how many of your families use bark, but it has been a lifesaver. And I don't think I have it on my 12 year old's phone. And I'll, I'll say, you know, I can see this, right? Like everything you're writing, I actually see. And it was a couple of weeks of that. (laughs) I'm like, what part of this he's not getting through to him? But Bark has been a huge thing. And, And board games, get off the screen time. Let's play some board games, you know, it's and card games. And, and so I think it's those little things that tend to add up, at least for us, because, you know, yes, there is the sleep aids and the, you know, we just need to get off our screens for a hot minute. I think what you've highlighted, Laura, though, in order to do that is you have to be present and where, meaning us adults, are not very great at that. We are distracted by our phones as well. We are constantly and always on. And so if you're modeling that for your kids, and even though we started off talking about some really scary and really big kinds of things like substance use and you know, suicide and deep depression. Um, It starts somewhere though, right? And so if you can be attuned, if you can be present, that's what I work with parents on a lot. So some people say, uh, a lot of people actually say to me when they have littles, they say, I'm not a get down on the floor and play with my kids. So you're going to need to give me some other advice. (laughs) And, um, And that's fine. I'll roll with that, right? Do I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to get down on your floor with your toddlers and play? Yes, it is. But we've got lots of other ideas. Not everybody's that person. I'm not gonna try to make people into who they're not. The point is be connected and be present, whatever that looks like in your family. That's great. Um, we like to wrap each one of our episodes with with giving people a call to action or giving people a resource. For parents or caregivers who are concerned about their kids, is there a resource where they can go for help? Is there some place that you would direct them, um, you know, as a, an action item based on what we've talked about today? Yeah, I um, I thought about a couple of resources. I mean, the first really good general resources. There's a Colorado Crisis Services hotline that's open 24/7 that you can text to. You can text talk to 38255, or they have an 844 number 844-493-8255. But there's also a website, um, and I don't have any association with this, but I looked through it and it looked really helpful, called letstalkco.org. And they seem to have even a a greater variety of different types of resources from substance abuse ones to pregnancy and postpartum and all these different kinds of resources. Um, But I will say that what the research shows, though, is that when people are in this time of stress, where they really go, number one, um, besides online, is their pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And, and in our world, we know what's straightforward. I think pediatricians do too. They do a lot of ADHD. They do, they know, they know what, they sort of seem to know their lane. And then they, they'll hit a point where they'll say, I'm not comfortable with that, like prescription. And here's a referral. But we need to, you know, I think look to psychiatric nurses and PAs and other people who 
have some mental health training, probably, you know, obviously not like a psychiatrist would, but we need to manage that med side as well. There are a lot of people that could benefit maybe from medication and they're having a hard time also getting those services. So just think outside of whatever you, you would normally go to and just think a little bit broadly. Mm, I love that. Thank you for the resources because I think those will help people. Anyone that is wanting more information just about you and what kind of expertise you bring to parents and caregivers, where should they go? They can check out Dr. Cheryl Ziegler, Z-I-E-G-L-E-R.com. That's a lot about me. My Denver area practice is um, denverchildtherapy.com. And we really are on a wait list now. Um, But one of the other things actually you just made me think about is we're looking to this new year to be more innovative and creative with maybe groups, Um, you know, ways that I'm doing one actually right now for parents. I'm doing a parent support group, um, which has been really gratifying. So that's at least one to eight in that, you know, in that setting. Um, And so we're, we're trying to, you know, in our little world, we're trying to do the best that we can with the space and the resources that we have as well. So, um, but I'm happy for people to follow me there. And um, again, people should stay connected to pediatricians and of course their schools, which are also overwhelmed, but you know, sometimes there's those resources as well with school counselors. That's great. Um, as we had hoped, a treasure trove of for information and helpful tips and things from you, Dr. Ziegler. So we we certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for taking time out of your day and coming on the show. Um, thank you for the super helpful tips. Uh, everything from the very, very serious things down to reminding me to drink more water uh, throughout my day. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> thank you, guys. really incredible to just think about the impact that this pandemic has had on our kids and our community and just you know it really does take a village to rally around families that are in crisis so I'm so appreciative of the insight that Dr. Cheryl shared with us today and I think the power of community was really really evident in our previous episode when we interviewed the executive director of Colorado Casa and one of the judges involved with that, um, we had such an outpouring of responses. And Jim and I found out, gosh, last week that even from that podcast, we had individuals that heard the episode and reached out to not only the Colorado CASA chapters to get more involved, but chapters in Oklahoma City and in Santa Fe as well. And those are just the ones we know of. So we know that, you know, we, we together can make a huge difference. And that is really heartwarming. Yeah, that's um, bigger than it. one cool thing. I feel like that's a million cool things uh, all in one. So um, speaking of which, I mean, if, if you if you like the episode, if, if you listen to one of our episodes and you think it may be relevant for a friend or a coworker or a partner, um, share goodandgrounded.com with them and, and have them give a listen and, and see what they might be able to do in their communities to, to make things a little better. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Get out there and share it with folks and uh, let's all do a little bit bit of good in our communities.